0: Morning! By the way, if you hear a little bit of a, a background noise, it's we're on a cruise ship right now in the Mediterranean, and I'm going to be going in and out of the terrace, so I apologize for any background noise. However, I did want to get into this topic as soon as I possibly could, and the topic is actually a piece that most people still miss when they're looking to achieve anything in terms of happiness and or success. But before I give it, and it's a one word, by the way, and, and it isn't necessarily the one word that is indicative or prescribed or exclusive. In other words, it's not just one word. But this one word does represent several words that you'll figure out here in a moment that ultimately will make a big difference if you haven't already adopted this word. So, before I give you the word, I want to give you a little bit of a story. We're in Paris a couple of days ago. We actually went from London, to actually went from Deer Valley to London to Paris, and now on the Mediterranean cruise. And I had a call from a friend of mine who's actually a client, about recommending another individual who's an entrepreneur, very successful, great guy, very fun, uh, very successful, beautiful wife, beautiful son uh, You know, to chat with him. And we chatted, we just quite couldn't figure out if I could help him or frankly, if he could afford me, truth be told. However, we started a friendship and a relationship and so he happened to be going to Paris for a business deal at the same time that we're gonna be in Paris. So we connected, and then he invited us to a place called Angelina's. Now, if you haven't been to Angelina's, and we had never been to Angelina's, so it was our first time, Angelina is one of the most incredible places we've ever been to. They have the world's best hot chocolate. They, and you know, they claim that and until you taste it, right? You don't really know, but man, it was unbelievable. Incredible pastries, and we actually went on a Sunday. Now, most French, and they, I did not know this, but most French on Sundays they take about three or four hours of food. Sometimes starts at 10, sometimes two, sometimes three, sometimes four, and they just converse and have have fun and they chat and they enjoy themselves and you know, they drink their hot chocolate and whatever pastries or food or whatever time of the day it is. And so, you know, here we are, we got there at, at 10, I believe it was, and we were there until about one thirty. And the funny thing is, is that we thought to ourselves, oh no, we're taking up a table because we're used to this sort of, Hustle and bustle, quick, get in, get out restaurants, particularly in the States. You know, Even if you've been to the restaurant often, they still sort of hover over you at one point or another to get you to move out of the table so they can, of course, churn the table because that's what generates revenue. So I, I don't begrudge it. It just is what it is. But in Paris, it was a very different feel. So we're talking with our friend and we're asking questions and we're getting to know each other a little bit more. And as we began to chat, I had an epiphany. Right, one of those other aha moments that helped me understand. See, I'm, I'm always looking for what's the next level, right? What, what are the things that we can engage behaviorally that will get us to the next level? And whatever that next level is, is dependent upon our own situation, our own circumstances. Somebody might be making $5 million a year in income, and the next level for them might be $6 million. Somebody might be making a half a million dollars in income, and the next level might be 600000 And we're not putting any moral connotation on any of it. We're not saying that the $5 million person a year is better than the half a million or the half a million is better than the 150 or the 150 is better than the 50,000. It doesn't matter, right? It's always what's that next level. Because truth of the matter is, and you probably agree with this if you think about it, everybody who generally wants to strive to become better at whatever it is they do or whoever they are is always looking to move on to the next level. Isn't that right? You know, in Jiu-Jitsu, when I was doing Jiu-Jitsu a lot, there are belts. And the belts just signify these steps, right? White to blue to purple to brown to black. And if you did away with the levels or you did away with the belts, you could see still who is better than the other person. So belts weren't indicative of time, but indicative of skill, which produced a certain result. And so the next level really is, hey, I'm getting result X. I want to get result Y. So if I get result X and I wanna get result Y, how do I get to the next level? How do I move up that rank? How do I change my behavior, right? Because it all is about behavior if you think about it, both thinking and physical. How do I change that? What do I change to get to the next level? And I'm always looking for what's that little bit to get to the next level? Whether it was in martial arts, about making small movements to economize or learning to explode, not telegraphing, whether it was in business, learning certain language patterns, closing a sale, building a rapport, you know, all of these things, right? And so I read and I study and I observe as much as I possibly can because you never know what's that little extra thing that's going to make a big difference. And sometimes it's a big thing. You know, sometimes you learn this huge thing that gives you an epiphany and a different change of the world. And as you get a different change of the world, you behave differently. And as you behave differently, you get different results, assuming you stick with it. So as I'm having this conversation with my friend, and I'm asking him questions. And I'm trying to help him better understand himself. Because it is, in some capacity, easier to coach somebody else than it is to coach yourself. I have coaches, right? I to ask people for opinions and advice and facts all of the time. Particularly in an area that I don't know. You know, Ray Daly calls them believable experts. Somebody who knows something that you don't in a particular area. And then has the experience of having produced the result that you are looking for that you haven't yet produced. So I'm always learning, always asking, and, and somebody may be less successful than I am in business, but they're more successful in something else. And sometimes the concept or the learning or the strategy or the story that they tell me in something else helps me in a different area, right? Very eclectic approach, which I believe, and I got this from studying and learning uh, martial arts through, you know, Bruce Lee's philosophy early on, which really was a different kind of philosophy about absorb what is useful discard what is useless, and add specifically your own. So I'm always looking for this little bit. So as we're, you know, eating, and I'm really sort of in what we call uptime. In NLP, it's called uptime, which means that there's no internal dialogue. It's just you and your free-flowing with the other individual, right? You're having this exchange, and I'm paying attention to what's called sensory acuity, right? To, you know, his uh, pupil dilation, his eye movements, his body gesture, the relation with him and his wife, the words that he says, the meaning that he has. I'm trying to capture everything, because I really want to understand what is his metaphor of life, what is the, the, the map to his territory, right, what is what is holding him back, what is propelling him forward, what can I do, where can I press, what button is there that I can touch that will m- make a difference in his life or impact him positively, and believe it or not, some will, you probably already know this, but sometimes your business life is being stagnant, not because you're doing something in business, because something is happening in your personal life, or... And your physical attributes, or with your relationship with your wife or your son, or you never know, right? Sometimes you move the knob in one area, and then everything else gets affected positively or, or negatively, but hopefully positively. Like Jim Rohn said, right? Everything affects everything else. Not to think so is naive. And so I'm looking for this and I'm thinking about it. And he was a judoka, right? Somebody who did judo. So I utilized the metaphor of judo to help him understand that in business, He has to take certain risks to spar with a situation or a person who is better than he is because that's the only way he's going to improve. He can practice all the techniques, right, all the time that he wants, but unless he puts it into action, unless he puts it into effect, unless he tries to make it work, it's going to be for nothing. Make sense? So the metaphor I gave him was, look, imagine him and I are going to spar. I'm a pretty good stand-up guy. I can kickbox and trap and all this stuff—pretty darn good. In fact, I consider myself, even at this stage of the game, probably above 95% of the population. Now, on the ground game, I'm average, right? I can hold my own, right? You know, I'm probably purple belt level at best, right? Somewhere in the middle. So, if you're better than that, it's—you know—you're going to most likely beat me. He, on the other hand, as a judoka, right, a judo guy who does throws primarily. He was a champion, black belt level, you know, did it, did it competitively. So there's no way that I could beat him in judo. Highly unlikely. The probability of that happening are 99% to one, right? Me being the one, him being the 99%. So if I said, look, you know, if we go spar right now, if we go outside and we spar, what's, you know, just judo-wise, you're probably going to beat me. And then if I said, look, show me your moves. And let's say that you showed me your moves. You said, okay, you know, here's this throw, here's that throw, here's this sweep, and so forth and so on. Even if he showed me, and I could do it in practice, right? Oh, yeah, I got it. And he said, yeah, you understand it. Even if we went to spar, guess what? He'd still beat me, wouldn't he? Of course he would. Because he's done it a thousand times or 20,000 times, and he's done it against opponents. And because he's done it against resistance, he's been able to calibrate and adapt and adjust, and his brain captures these patterns, these neurological patterns about micro-movement that allows him to get the right timing, the right leverage, the right speed, all of these components. And if you've done any kind of sports, you already are beginning to remember what it's like when you do your sport about how much better you may be than somebody else because you know how to do something. You know, W. Clement Stone, one of my all-time heroes, and I recommend anything he's ever written, which I think are three books. One with Napoleon Hill, Success Through PMA. One on his own, which I believe was... Um, the success system that never fails, which is kind of autobiographical, autobiographical, whatever the word is, and then one we think with Norman Cousins or something, which is about the other side of the mind, which is really interesting. Anyway, he had a formula, he said, that always succeeds. This is a formula that he said, and he applied. Now, mind you, the guy lived to be 100 years old, he died a billionaire by today's dollars, he created an insurance company you still know today called AON, Aon Insurance, and he is the reason why Napoleon Hill is somebody you might have heard of. He put Napoleon Hill on the map because when he met Napoleon Hill, Napoleon Hill was broke doing guest appearances in diners. And it was W. Clement Stone that set out with Hill, and I'll talk about this at some other point, to do a partnership that lasted 10 years, and this is why the world now has Think and Grow Rich as the single most successful book of all time in terms of personal growth development. So Stone, who was a huge fan of Hill, said, look, There's three things you need. One is inspiration to action. And he said you can be dissatisfied, inspirationally dissatisfied, meaning don't be happy with your current situation and then get excited to take action. So he wanted inspirational dissatisfaction, inspiration to action. He tells you how to be inspired and talks about motive. The next thing is what to do. You have to know what to do. And then the third thing was know how to do it. Now let me, let me tell you a little something. You know, I remember when we bought our first house, it was our, actually our second house, it was our dream home. We paid $1.1 million for it, 360 degree view of the San Fernando Valley in California, 5,000 square foot, acre and a half, best house in the neighborhood, cul-de-sac, incredible, marble floors, with, you know, we still have an infinity pool that we made, the back, I mean the thing was incredible. And when we bought it, we could barely make the mortgage payments. Now, look, I'm not suggesting that you stretch beyond your means and, and put yourself in that position so you grow, although for some people, it is a good strategy. So I remember the mortgage, I think, was like $6,000, and with all the your kids, we had three kids at the time, and the cars and stuff, we could barely, barely, barely make the mortgage payment. I remember I had a library that I had built, but I had no furniture inside the library, right? Just books and uh, a small desk and a chair. And I remember that I was reading his book, and I got his tapes, his, his audio cassette at the time, and started listening to it. And the audio cassettes were him sort of reading the book in a abridged version, a shorter version of the book itself. And I remember being outside, of a summer day. I'm 32 years old at the time. I'm 48 now, so you can do the math. And I'm going, I don't understand the difference between, I get inspirational dissatisfaction, I get inspiration to action. I get that. Okay, no problem. I understand that. And I I, kind of get the what to do and the how to do it. i don't understand the difference. And so I listened to the audio cassette probably about a couple of dozen times over the next week. I'd go to work, come back from work. I'd sit outside, you know, beautiful setting, wife and kids inside, summer night. And I'm listening to these audio cassettes thinking, 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 thinking. And unfortunately, I didn't get it. I didn't get it that whole week, but I really studied hard for it. It wasn't until much later that I understood the difference. And it's a very simple difference. Knowing what to do is learning the technique in judo, for example, right? In the throws, or any sport, or any business situation, or any negotiations, or any sales capacity, or any strategic component, right? It's here, I know what I have to do, right? So I know that the technique that is going to do on me goes like this, sweep, pull, throw, whatever. But knowing how to do it in every given situation is very different. So when you know how to do something, it implies you've had combat it implies that you've sparred with somebody. In order for my friend to have gotten really good at judo, which he was, and and for me to have gotten really good at stand-up, which I am, we've had to have sparred a lot. Because I may have known what to do. I could have thrown the jab, cross, uppercut, round kick, whatever, and he may have done the throws. But until we get into a situation where the opposition wasn't willing, right, they don't want you to pull off the technique, you're sparring, right? I have a saying that I think it comes from Bruce Lee, but I can't seem to find it, which is that truth is found in combat. Meaning that how to actually do something properly is found when there is resistance, when there is opposition. Make sense? Of course it does. So as I'm having a discussion with him, I realize what's holding him back in his business life isn't that he doesn't know what to do, because he knows exactly what to do. It's that he doesn't know how to do it. And the only way he's going to get to know how to do it is to what? To spar. See, so I said, look, in this situation, there was a particular situation that he was uh, asking some feedback on. I said, look, in this situation, if you go at it and you fail, we still clap for you because that's the equivalent of you going on the mat and fighting somebody who's better than you are, right? So he's at a higher level than you are. He's at the next level above you, and you're sparring with him, and he gets you. You lose. He wins, but you get better, maybe. You hope for it, right. You get stronger and you get wiser. Better, stronger, wiser. Now, if you practice with the purpose of getting better, as Jim Rohn would tell us very often, then it's a good practice—not just practice for the sake of practicing, but practice to find out what are those little nuances, what are those little things that I can change. What can I pay attention to that if I just made a little bit different it would allow me to have a better know-how. Does that make sense? So. He starts to understand this in his mind going, oh, I see. See, because what happens is he wants to go on the mat in this particular situation and he wants to win. We all do, right? I mean, you're not in business. You're not in anything you do just you could lose, although it might be a pretty good strategy. You're in it because you want to win. You want to be the successor. You want to be the winner at winning, right? So he doesn't want to come into the situation and lose the possibility of a deal that he could get, which is a good deal he'd make a lot of money, he'd have a wonderful moment and his life would change and all kinds of cool stuff. However, the fact that he doesn't want to lose is holding him back from actually sparring. So instead of thinking about, look, in this situation I want to win, what if, what if we began to think about, hey, in this situation, I just want to get better, stronger and wiser. What if instead of looking at a situation in business in your life, or in your personal relationships, or in anything you're thinking about, instead of always wanting to win only, what if you wanted to win and it's okay if you lost as long as you got stronger, wiser, better, as long as you learned. You know, think of it this way, and you've heard this before, right? Even Ray Dalio, his book, Principles, talks about it. It's one of his principles. You will not lose if you learn. So if my friend goes into this business dis- this situation or discussion with this guy, and let's say that he tries to convince him or persuade him or whatever to do the business deal, but let's say it doesn't come by. And let's say that even the friendship gets distraught and he loses a friend and he doesn't get the business deal. Will he be distraught? Yes. Will he be bummed out? Of course. Will he have lost? Absolutely. However, if he learned and he got better, and he gets stronger, and he got wiser, did he really lose? Probably not. So when I first started, and I'm going to contrast him with another guy named Peter, Peter J. Daniels, one of my friends and mentors. But before we get on there, when I first started selling on the phone, I remember I was terrible. As you can tell, I talk really fast, right? And I don't even do caffeine. Imagine me on caffeine, and would be like the chipmunk's radios or chipmunk's audios. So I talk really fast. And I'm Hispanic, so English is my second language. So English is my second language. I talk really fast. And I started, after quitting law school, to sell on the phone. And you can imagine how good I was. I was so good, I almost got fired three times. I was absolutely terrible. But I knew that if I worked on myself, I could get better. And if I get better, I'll get better results. So what happened? Well... I started to look at the math and said, look, how many phone calls do these people who are better than I make in a day? And I think at the time it was about 50 phone calls. I said, okay, how many times do they ask for the order? How many presentations do they make? I started to do the math backwards and said, look, I'm probably four times as bad as the average person. I was 24 at the time. Which means I got to make four times as many calls just to be even. So I set a goal, make 200 calls. Now look, this isn't one of those things where you gotta really work hard, because that's not, that's not at all it. It was what activity do I have to engage in to make up for the lack of the skill that I had? And then I thought, okay, well how many presentations do they do? And they do about two or three presentations and they might get one. Well I thought, again, I'm about four times as worse as they are, so I'll do 10 presentations and I'll get one. Okay, great. How many times do they have to ask for the order for the client or the new prospect to say, sure, send me one. Well, it was about two or three. Again, doing the math, I figured eight. And of course, I later find out that human beings can't say no more than five times comfortably. So I had my marching orders. 200 phone calls a day, 10 presentations, each presentation closed eight times. And I started dying like a madman. And guess what happened? Just take a guess. That's right, I was still terrible. I was just as bad as I was before, but slowly and surely, my skill began to improve, even if a little bit. So did I, was I the one-star the first year? Nope. In fact, I don't even think I ranked the top two or three or four or five, and there was probably about 35 employees at the time that were sales guys. But what happened the second year and the third year was pretty remarkable. I ended up making $25,000 a month by the age of 28, right before I got fired. I was the number one sales guy, the number one manager, and the number one trainer. And I subsequently went on to build, of course, an Inc. 500 twice company, 5,000 twice, yada, 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 blah, 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 all that cool, fun stuff that I'm sure you don't care about. I tell that story to you because I don't necessarily want to impress you with it, but to impress upon you the fact that I started to make up in Numbers, what I liked in skill. I started to realize I needed to practice. It wasn't about getting the order. It was about getting the knowledge. Because even though when I made a phone call to a client and I lost, he said no, and somebody better than me could have had it, it didn't make a difference because I gained the know-how that W. Clement Stone was so adamant about. The only way for me to get, get that know-how, to get better, truly, was to spark, to put myself in a situation where I got purposely beat by somebody better. As long as I practice with the skill of getting better. Does that make sense? So my friend, who I think is mid-30s, successful business guy, yet stuck at a certain level. Contrast that to my friend Peter, who is I think eighty-four, eighty-five now, who is, by the way, one of my all-time heroes. Now, I don't agree with everything Peter says or everything he does, and I don't think he's right about everything. In fact, I'd say it's 50-50, truthfully. I think some things that he talks about probably aren't necessarily accurate, but other things he talks about really are accurate. So this is a guy that at age 26 was an illiterate bricklayer. Now, mind you, he's 84 years old now. So think about how long ago that was, right? So he he went to a Billy Graham crusade, became a Christian. He actually went there to make fun of Christians, became a Christian, turned his life around and taught himself to read. And he became one of the wealthiest guys in Australia. Now, of course, we think, wow, Peter, what an amazing life you've lived. Three kids, all successful, grandkids, all successful. I mean, he, he is, you know, still married to the same beautiful woman. He is a picture of success like W. Clement Stone was, who, remember, died at 100. And the guy drank champagne, you know, smoked cigars, four, five, six cigars a day, every day of his life. But, but Clem did some things that... Very few of us. I've never met anybody like W. Clement Stone. Never. And i met Peter J. Daniels. And I've never met anybody like Peter J. Daniels. If I was to say that there's a correlation between Clem and Peter, there is one thing that I would hypothesize is probably somewhat common. Clem was better at it than than Peter, but Peter still had it. And I'll tell you what that is in a minute. And I don't have it. I'm, I'm striving for it, but I certainly don't have it yet. But I recognize what it is. So Peter, you think, oh, well, what a great success story. But is it really? Let me give it to you. So he goes and he teaches himself to read. How does he do it? He puts a dictionary in the toilet, He puts a dictionary in his car, right? Ask people, what does that word mean? Then he asks two or three people. He goes and reads a bunch of biographies in a very unique way, the way he read biographies, by the way. because Remember, he was illiterate. Wrote a bunch of books and then began to speak. Uh, but that's, he didn't make any money out of speaking. He made money uh, in real estate. But here's the story, right? 26, four years later at 30, broke. 10 years later, 36, still broke. In fact, he went broke once, twice, thrice, right, or three times. And his wife even said, Peter, just give all this up. Give it up. Just stop trying to become rich. Stop trying to be successful. Just get a job. Stop trying to go into business. You know, stop buying money on these books. We can't even feed the kids. It took him 14 years from age 26 to age 40 before he hit it big at age 40. At age 40, he figured it out. Everything he had done up until that point in time, 14 years, had led to the culmination. He tried different businesses. He finally landed real estate, understood the principle of negotiations. He had read theology, philosophy, biographies, mathematics, you know, law. He read everything he possibly could, educated himself. He's an introvert, a very unique brain, much like yours and mine, because we're unique. If you're listening to me, you're unique. Trust me. People who are unique, listen to me. Those that are not unique, don't listen to me. So he he was very unique, like you and I, and then he put all these principles into effect. And finally, at age forty, he hit a big, became very wealthy. In fact, that became one of the wealthiest men in Australia. And he had a couple of diseases, like he had diphtheria. He almost died from some kind of brain aneurysm, and the man cured himself. And today, he had Parkinson's a couple of years ago, and he cured himself almost of Parkinson's. Remarkable, right? And and it wasn't through diet. It wasn't like he read a book on diet. He cured himself through different. Uh, capacities the difference between my friend and france before we had a chat although i i suspect if you're listening now and you know who you are i suspect he's different now than he was when he met with me because we were able to pinpoint what's holding him back and change some of the things so that he could actually make the change and begin to spar more so he can become better in business and not be so worried about losing the difference between my friend and peter was that Peter knew he needed to get to the next level. And the only way he could get to the next level was to take action. And this is the word of the day, action. Some say discipline, some say massive action. It doesn't matter. Let's not get caught up in nomenclature and semantics. It's do something. You know, Bruce Lee, Daniel Asanto, who was Bruce Lee's best friend and protege, said that Bruce was always a guy to want to step foot forward before he knew what he was doing. In other words, if Bruce was going to be a, in a movie, which he was, just just go make the movie. Like, forget, th- let's not, just go do it. If he wanted to learn a technique or learn from you, let's just go do it. He learned by having sensory acuity, getting feedback. The more feedback he got, the quicker he adjusted. That's one of the things that made him so remarkable in the ability to control his body. He just thrived off of feedback. See, you've heard this in so many different ways about, you know, Mike Tyson saying, or maybe it was Muhammad Ali, you know, everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the face, right? Or was it Patton that said, you know, no plan survives the test of combat or you know, whatever. But you get the paraphrase I'm trying to make, right? Is that, I mean, how much you plan, and by the way, you know, there's, there's this whole notion that, that proper planning prevents, uh, prior planning prevents poor performance. That isn't true. You know, there's, there's a great book, by Scott Sonnison called Stretch. And you don't have to read it, but there's a section about planning and he says that people that don't plan actually do better. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that you shouldn't plan, but don't plan for too long, right? A plan is think about it for a little bit and then go, go do something. So the difference between Peter and my friend was that Peter took more action. Now, he didn't take action just for the action's sake. He took action to get feedback so that he can readjust to take action again, get more feedback, action, feedback, action, feedback, action, feedback. Think of a sport where there's two opponents, tennis or teams, football, basketball. And I say football here, I'm in Europe, and I'm in Rome on the cruise, like I said. And, of course, football is soccer in the U.S., right? But any team sport, there's feedback. There's boxing, MMA. There's constant feedback given, and that feedback allows you to adjust. So what makes you think that business is any different? It's not. Feedback is gives us the know-how. So if you're inspired to take action and you believe you know what to do, you might be stuck at the know-how. But the know-how only shows up with massive action. And by the way, thinking is also an action. If you're thinking about something, if you're ruminating, if you're looking for ideas, if you're trying to solve a problem, if you're trying to figure something out, you're thinking. Thinking is an action. If you go to bed at night and you give your subconscious mind a command to figure something out, it is an action. It isn't just physical, because sometimes, as my friend Richard Koch would say, action drives out thought, which by the way actually came from Bill Bain, and he admits it. So action just means you're moving forward so you can get feedback towards the achievement of your desired outcomes so you can learn the know-how. The difference between the great and the not so great has very little to do with inspiration, very little to do with knowledge, and a lot to do with how to do something, the feedback. Think of these podcasts. I have no idea what I'm doing, and that may be evidence based on the fact that you're hearing me, but who cares? Do you think I care? That I'm not perfect in the podcast? Of course I don't. All I care about is let me give you some content. Let me give you some words. Let me give you some inspiration. Let me share something with you so that if you care enough, you'll do something to make a positive impact in your life and make a difference. Now, whether you do something or not with this stuff, it's up to you. Whether you listen or not, that's up to you. I can't control any of that. But I can get better. I can get stronger. I can get wiser. The more I do these, the better I'll get. And if you hang out with me through this journey, you'll see me progress and get better each and every time. Now look, I'm on vacation, quote unquote. You know, I'm sitting here in the cruise ship. Who does a podcast on vacation? I do. Why? Because I love this kind of stuff. I love the dialogue. I love rumination. You know I love thinking about how do we get to the next level. So as I was traveling, I thought, you know, what is the one thing that if I share with somebody today, one-on-one, or one-to-many, what would I tell them that I know after the conversation we had at Agilentist in Paris would have an impact? And it is this. Take action so you get better, stronger, and wiser. Not so that you exclusively win. Because the idea of winning gives us fear of losing, which then holds us back. The idea of winning gives us a fear of losing and then holds us back. Now, of course, you should want to win. Of course, that is your desired outcome. But if that's the only thing that makes you feel like a winner, you won't take action. If you only went and entered the ring, if you were in a combat sport, with the idea that the only way I will succeed is if I win, you end up with a lot of, like these boxers and MMA fighters who think they're demigods and then they lose and they get devastated and they never come back. You've seen them, right? You've seen them. I won't give any names. I don't want to put anybody in blast. But if you follow any combative sport, you see people who are, who are undefeated. They get defeated and they never come back. And guess what you do? You don't respect them, do you? No, of course not. I don't either. I mean, you know, we respect them, but not. To, we don't call them champions, unlike someone like Muhammad Ali. What made Muhammad Ali fantastic wasn't the fact that he was undefeated because he was defeated. It's that he came back almost every time and beat the guy who beat him. We love that, don't we? We love the fact that he or somebody loses and they come back as the underdog and win. Why? Because deep down inside, we know that progress is what makes us happy. Overcoming obstacles is what makes us happy. It isn't the attainment of something without the struggle. If you were to play football, American football, and the other team just laid down and you could score at will, now you might immaturely say, Oh, I would love that, but you really wouldn't. It's when you fight a good fight and you win just by a hair. Those are the moments when you're most happy. Those are the times when you most. Enjoyed what you were doing. Welcome the obstacles. Welcome the challenges. Welcome the combat. Yes, focus on winning. But only if you deserve it based on the fact that you've gotten better, stronger, and wiser. If you have that mindset, remember last time, change the belief that even if you lose, if you get better, you're still a winner. Then you can come back. Then you're really a champion. Then your identity and your life and your whole capacity as an entrepreneur or a business person or an executive or father, husband, you know, mother, wife, sister, brother, son, doesn't matter. Then instead of having the identity of, you know, I'm only good if, I'm always good because. See, if you're only good if you win, then when you don't win, you're no good. And that kills your self-esteem and changes your mindset. But if you're always good because you're learning. Whether you're making five million a year or a half million a year or a buck fifty or just starting out. It doesn't matter. You're always a winner. And yes, it can be hard. Yes, it can be challenging. Yes, you're gonna have obstacles, you're gonna cry, you're gonna pull your hair out, or if you're like me, not much to pull anymore. But you know, of course you're gonna have all of these challenges. But deep down inside of the crevices of your being where it really matters and where it counts, you'll be smiling. You'll be happy, and you will be triumphant. So, remember, if you want, W. Clement Stone's ultimate success formula, inspirational dissatisfaction. Be dissatisfied with your current position. Not unhappy, because Jim Rohn said, happiness is being happy with what you have while in pursuit of what you want. I love that definition. Hard to do, by the way. I'm still working on it. Hard to do. But boy, if we can get to that place where we're happy with what we have. Well, in pursuit of what we want, we will always be happy. So, inspecial dissatisfaction means that you want more than what you currently have now in terms of you becoming a better person. Then, figure out what to do, and what to do is easy. You know, here's what I got to do, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, whatever, right? And then, learn the know-how. And the only way to get the know-how is to actually take action with the purpose of getting better. And that means go out into the real world and put yourself in situations where the feedback the opposition allows you to adjust and to get better. Hey, thanks again for listening. I so very much appreciate you. And I really hope that this little Chad had a positive impact in your life. I know I'm better for it. This is Marks. I to Rubio. And from the bottom of my heart, I'm grateful for you. Have an incredible day. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now.